When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Well, good morning. Happy Friday. How's your day going so far? Any nice plans for the weekend? Anything we should tell other people about that's happening in your area? Coming up today, the ways the boss might try to keep you in work without necessarily a pay rise. How are companies retaining their staff? Are you unhappy with buying online tickets for the GAA? What's the case for this? And indeed, the case against it. And you heard yesterday from Ian in Tullamore, who at the age of 18 started dabbling in cocaine and it led to a habit that was costing him €200 Euro a day in financial terms, but much more in quality of life and in his relationships. Well, today you hear from the child and adolescent psychiatrist for the Midlands region, Professor Bobby Smith, if you're the parent of somebody and you're worried what to watch out for, how to get help, all of that in just over an hour's time. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number, you can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103 powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Friday panel will be here as well. And Rory Cowan ahead of his appearance on Dancing with the Stars. So, let's see what's happening around the region and around the world and what's on the front pages today. The Irish Times tells us a new murder inquiry is underway following the attack at a restaurant in Blanchardstown on Christmas Eve. Indeed, that's the main story on many newspapers this morning. The Irish Examiner, Gorthy Fear, Gangland Funeral Revenge, that there will be reprisals at the funeral. Now it's war. That story again on the front of the Irish Sun and the Irish, uh, the Evening Herald rather, Steakhouse Shoot Target dies in hospital. Let's see what's inside the papers. Good news for the state, for the taxman, and ultimately for you and me. The budget surplus for 2023, surplus, not deficit, 7.8 billion euro. That is the difference between what the government thought would be left at the end of the year and what was actually left. And although slightly less than the forecast in October's budget, uh, the reason was the overrun in the Department of Health had to be paid for, and that was about 964 million euro. But anyway, 7.8 billion euro. Uh, in a surplus, what to do with that money? Pay down the national debt, perhaps? Funding the national debt was cheaper than expected because, well, for whatever reason, uh, both by paying down some of the principal, but also, I suppose, Ireland's rating improving, the amount to pay the interest of the national debt was just over €3.1 billion Euro last year, down from 3.7 the year before. Anyway, some financial news in the big picture on the Irish Times. Um, one story that's covered only in a few papers because it happened uh, earlier this morning. Oscar Pistorius released from jail 
11 years after murdering his girlfriend, Reva Steenkamp. And you may recall this was a, a trial that gripped South Africa, indeed was reported all over the world. And Ms. Steenkamp was in the toilet of their home when he fired four times through the door, claiming that he believed she was an intruder, but the bullets killed her there and then. And he was to serve 13 years and five months. He has served nearly nine of those and was approved for parole in November. Charlie McConnellogue, the Minister for Agriculture, is covered in several stories today. One in which he refuses to rule out a position as EU Commissioner. He seems to be interested in that role. The other, when you go to a restaurant and you get a plate of food in front of you, is there enough on the plate? Because he reckons there's too much. Plates are overloaded and it really grates and annoys him. I think that's a difficult one because, yes, from a health point of view, smaller portions might be worthwhile for many of us. But in a cost of living crisis and when hospitality is struggling and you look at the plate and you think, oh, they're being a bit miserly. Are you going back there? And it's not necessarily going to cut their costs either. Yes, they may have to put fewer ingredients on the plate, but they still have to prepare the food. They still have to keep the premises and the lights on. And therefore, if you feel shortchanged, you're not going back. Not a win for the restaurants. Anyway, that's on the front of the Irish Examiner this morning. A letter poses quite a dilemma. It reads, My sister has told me, and only me, about her devastating diagnosis, but I believe we should share it with our wider family and friends. I have my own busy life, and I worry my sister will lack support in her cancer journey, and our family may resent me for keeping such a huge secret from them one day. My sister was recently diagnosed, and although I understand she doesn't want her teenage children to worry about her, when one is particularly struggling, I feel such a secret will not help her when she needs it most. It may seem selfish, but I am busy and I'm afraid I can't offer her all the support she needs on my own. My ex-husband, or excuse me, her ex-husband, is no longer in the picture and we have other siblings and she has many close friends. Now, I'm not sure if I'm being selfish or should I respect her wishes. I believe as a broader family we can better help her through this challenge. She seems convinced she's going to get to the other side of it. My concern is she won't and people left behind will resent me for not letting them know sooner. Ooh. You can argue it either way, can't you? And at the end of the day, it probably comes down to your own gut instincts of what the lesser of two evils is. 083 30 10 103 on text and WhatsApp. What would you do if you were her? Article in the Irish Times today about how the young are caught in a grotesquely unfair trap. It's about pensions. 
And you have to go back to 1908. David Lloyd George was the British Prime Minister who introduced the old age pension, which we retained here in Ireland upon independence, and it started at five shillings a week. And here we are more than a hundred years later, and the biggest change in pensions since David Lloyd George is about to be introduced. The auto-enrolment scheme. And the article describes the various battles, for instance, the attempt before the last general election to agree a higher age at which you would start to receive the pension and how that was torpedoed politically. But the concern is, as the population ages, we must support more dependence for longer and that there will be a generation of people who do not own their own home paying to support those older people who are very comfortably with a roof over their head. And is that fair as a society? And it's the political issue nobody really wants to deal with. Anyway, that's in the Irish Times. A little bit of good news. Paddy Mangan. Well done, Paddy. He's from Oldcastle in County Meath, a well-known builder and part-time farmer. And he has, in recent times, donated 9,000 trees and has planted 3,000 others on his own 55-acre holding. And there are a few reasons for this. He realised trees are a vital part of the battle against climate change, and so he wants a better future for his daughters, Una, who is six, and Kira, or Kara rather, who is one. And he has planted 60 varieties, not all native trees. So there's a bit of colour in the hedgerows and in the fields. Oak and ash and alder and birch and whitethorn and beech and so on. As well as a lot of apple and pear and plum and cherry trees. And the other reason he's doing it is he was concerned about the ash dieback disease, which unfortunately had become quite widespread here in Ireland. So if you look up Free Trees Ireland on Facebook, this is a passion project for Paddy, and he would very much appreciate your support. His aim is to donate 35,000 trees a year, which would be a quarter of a million between now and the year 2030. Well done, sir. We are spending, you, me and every other Irish person, half a billion quid a year on fitness and well-being technology. So the average adult in the Republic forks out €143 Euro per year for apps and devices and for classes, according to Pure Telecom. And that's not including the gym membership or any of the physical equipment you may buy, the cross trainer or the free weights or whatever the case may be. This is purely for the electronics. And a lot of it comes down to food tracking apps. And a lot of it comes down to the wearables, particularly the watch that you may have on your wrist when you go for a walk or go for a run, tracking your heart rate. And, well, it can do all sorts of things these days, your temperature. Some can even to an ECG. But what are the best gadgets? If you're going to spend this kind of money, how do you get the most bang for your buck? 
The Irish Times has an article about it today. We're going to look at it in more detail in about an hour and a half's time. You may even see influencers promoting such products. And there's a story in The Independent today how there have been 800 complaints in just a five-week period about influencers. Because, you see, since the middle of November, you can now go online to report influencers to the Advertising Standards Authority. And a lot of this um, involves people promoting products but not making it clear there's a commercial arrangement, there's a lack of transparency. For instance, some will suggest, oh, well, this was a gift and I just want to say thank you for a gift and no money exchanged hands. Well, not all gifts, not all value is in the form of cash. If you get something for free and you do a service in return, that's called a barter. Anyway, you can complain to the Advertising Standards Authority the next time you see an influencer peddling a product and not being upfront about it. One more story for you. Sad news. The actress Glynis Johns has passed away and you may remember her most famously as Mrs Banks in Mary Poppins. Hard to believe, but she was actually still alive, hale and hearty at the age of 100. And most of her career, certainly her biggest achievements in her career, were back in the 1960s, 1970s. And she died peacefully on Thursday in Los Angeles, according to her manager. So, not too many from that era left now, unfortunately. In a few minutes, the ways companies are trying to keep staff that don't involve opening the checkbook. What to look forward to this year, as the jobs market remains pretty red hot. How much does it cost to heat your home? maybe per month or over the winter, pick whatever period, for the home heating oil or the turf, the briquettes, uh, the willow warm, the gas, whatever you're using, and some homes, particularly the more modern ones, the electricity bill. Send me a text when you have time, 083 30 10 103 on text and on WhatsApp. And I'll tell you in around 40 minutes' time why I'm asking. Here with the news and views that you can use. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands 103. In the year ahead, you might like a pay rise, but will the boss want to give you one or will they try to reward you in other ways? Well, businesses are certainly facing a lot of different cost challenges. Minimum wage is going up, or has already as of the 1st of January. And that has upward pressures, not just for those on minimum wage, but for those who look down and say, hmm, I want to make sure I'm still getting that gap, getting that premium for my qualification or for my experience. Yasmin el Kershi is Marketing Manager at All Pro Recruitment in Tullamore. Yasmin... How else might the boss reward somebody if not through the checkbook? Well, I suppose, like, as you said this year, it's just there's a lot of increased prices for costs for businesses. And so in research done, they've actually come back and said that the number one priority. So last year, the number one priority or the concern for businesses was staff shortages. Mm. This year, the number one is costs and rising costs got about 20% businesses globally that are concerned about making it through this year 
not because they're not making the sales, but because their costs have increased so much. So let that sink in. Yeah. One in five companies don't know if they'll be trading in, in this tw- time, 12 yeah. months. Yeah. So like it's a scary thing. And I don't want people to panic either on the other side because there still is a, um, a staff shortages. Mm. Do you know? So that still exists at the same thing. We're in a kind of a funny uh, period of, we'll say, the employment industry in that, yeah, people are very concerned about making it through the year, businesses are, but there still is a staff shortage. That's the number two concern that all these businesses have. So like um, there's a lot of research done and the the basic gist is that they're expecting staff shortages well into 2030. So like this is the period of, of kind of the employment industry is there is staff shortages just worldwide. There's a lot of arm wrestling about pay rises and even the public sector pay talks will yeah. hopefully resume soon and be productive. But just for expectations to be realistic, many companies last year may have awarded 3 to 5%, some perhaps some a little really, bit more. Yeah, so depending on your job, right? So if your job was, you know, highly in demand and you were being poached left, right and centre, you might have got like a t- up to a 10% pay rise, you know, and that might have been the case last year. Most businesses are not going to be able to afford to do that this year. And so what they're going to try to do is, and that's the question that you asked me originally, um, is that they're going to try to give you other um, things. And we know from research that actually Irish people, money isn't their number one be all and end all when it comes to, to their work, believe it or not. So actually, we really value flexibility. It's like, so don't get me wrong, money is very important. I am especially saying that it now, isn't. Yeah, yes. especially now, because, you know, as a... As just a Joe Soap, like we all have um, rising costs ourselves yeah. to deal with. It's not just the businesses that have that. Your you euro know? buys a lot less than it did two years ago. Oh my gosh. But Do anyway. you remember when you could spend a fiver and you'd kind of have a few things? I I think in the shop now, my eggs cost about that. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, definitely. So they're going to try to offer other things and other mm. benefits. So, so when you say flexibility is important, yeah. what does that mean? So basically the trend this year is, you know, like we would have had a lot of people working completely remotely. Now, I know that isn't a possibility for every job and every business and every sector. That is OK. But flexibility, but we're not having that this year. So that is gone. That completely remote is going to be phased out is the trend that we're seeing. And um, also driven, weirdly enough, by employees and employers. So they're but they're not coming back to the office if they're office jobs, they're not coming back five days a week. They're coming back maybe one, two, three days mm. a week. So it's going to be like a hybrid situation if that was the way that it was originally, that you were fully remote. But then flexibility in terms of like, you could offer a different start time. You know, like, so for example, um, so you, you're, you can drop your kids to the crash in the morning. All these things are really important. You know, the flexibility of, of that. If you need to work from home on a day because of, We'll say childcare or whatever, a million different reasons that you might need to work from home. The flexibility to do that. If you're working in, in a factory, maybe different start times. I mean, I think I'm talking about this all the time is um, aligning uh, factory runs to school. Mm-hmm. You know, everything starts at the same time. School, job, blah, blah, blah. You have to get everybody at the exact same time in the exact same place. It's not possible. Yeah, but there could be wider societal benefits than to having staggered Start, start times, times for different are, yeah. people. And these are the kind of flexibilities that, you know, like all industries can offer. Other things like healthcare, very important. 
um, pensions. Healthcare being private health insurance? Yeah, like maybe maybe you pay, you know, subsidised healthcare mm. could be another um, option. Um, yeah, more holiday days. So increasing, you know, because we have, what, 20 days statutory per year. So a couple of extra days here and there would actually be a huge benefit to a lot of people, would make... Depending on the business you're in, though, that's absolutely still, and still this a is cost all, so if you have to hire somebody else in on those days. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a thing. So it, it's there's going to be a balance. And when I talk about this, these are just general mm. um, things that people will offer. And it depends on the industry and what works for the industry. And employers and employees can pick and choose the kind of benefits that they want. But, you know, obviously, we have to be realistic about for example, if you need to hire someone else in on those days, it mightn't be exactly possible. But the state is also compelling employers to introduce some of these softer benefits, not even softer benefits, like auto-enrolment pension. Yeah. That's going to be a 5% give or take contribution from the employer. Yeah. Then sick days are now... So last year it was three paid sick days per year. This year it's five paid sick days per year. Next year it'll be seven and the year after it'll be ten. So yeah, absolutely. The state is is looking for this from our employers. And that's actually another really interesting point of something that's happened in the last few weeks is that actually IBEC have asked the state to stop introducing new employment regulations and rules for a while. They've asked for a moratorium because they're just they're finding that employers in general are struggling to keep up with all of the changes. There's been a lot of changes in the last year. We have minimum wage. I mean, we need to talk about that as well. That's been increased this year to 12 euro 70. Um, it was 11 euro 30 this year, which has its own knock on effects. So obviously for people because I know there was a lot of talk about what is the living wage, you know, so what can mm. what is a minimum wage that people can afford to survive on? But it also has knock on effects on businesses. That's a big raise per hour per any business. That's another cost. I recall when Labour first talked about living wage, it was 11 euro per hour. When was that? Oh, possibly 10 years ago. Wow. So we're at 12.70, so I don't know. It seems like inflation's been slightly more, but I think the living wage is around the 12 euro mark um, it was last year, 12.33, I think. Um, yeah, but then that has not gone effects as well because people who were, say, not on minimum wage, but maybe slightly closer to that are going to want that gap um, still there between the minimum wage and what they earn. You know, they may have 10 years experience. They could have... Um, and if they don't get it and they wish to move, there will be opportunity elsewhere. Yeah, there will, to be honest. That's the way the market's going with job shortages like that. And then just in terms of pay rises, it's not all doom and gloom. There are some industries that will be getting pay rises this year. Finance, for example, there's a massive shortage. We have a massive shortage in Ireland of finance people. What sort of jobs? Across the board, to be honest. Accountants? It's accountants, anyone with... Um, accountants, account assistants, all that kind of stuff. Um, anyone with finance qualifications, because there is just more competition for financial people and um, people who work in supply chain, supply chain managers, um, manu- ma- manufacturing management, that kind of stuff. They're all a set for pay increases. So it's kind of a, a strange, mm. there's lots of amazing Not trends to mention the trades. Year. Yeah. If you have a trade skill. Uh, I know electricians, for instance, there's a company offering 55,000 a year for them to work in the Midlands. Yeah. 
rather than driving all the way to Dublin every single day, quality yeah. of life would be much improved. And isn't that just, it's a massive pull. You know, if I'm looking at that and I'm an electrician and I'm gone from six in the morning and back at like seven in the evening, like I'm going to want to stay. In that mm. mid- I'm going to go with that Midlands job. So that's the kind of thing. Also, like if you're an employer and you're looking, there's other kind of out of the box thinking benefits that you can offer. I saw a great job advertisement recently and they were talking about free breakfast. That's not crazy. Depending on how many staff you have, you know, fresh fruit in the office, whatever. I mean, in the UK, they have a lot of bring your own dog to work days and all this kind of stuff. So there is other volunteering days is a big thing as well. I was watching Simon Sinek. He's a fantastic psychologist kind of guy, marketing guru, and he came up with this idea of the golden circle and start with why and so on. He, in in the States, they don't really have the sick pay policy. He was suggesting they do and call it duvet days, that you give your staff (laughs) a duvet day because you know eventually they'll call and say, (coughs) I'm I'm not well. And then they go off to Tato Park. (laughs) And I suppose the duvet day is all to avoid burnout because that's the other problem with staff shortages. It has a flip side in that the staff that you have are probably covering for a couple of people that, you know, the staff that you don't mm-hmm. have. And so you have that kind of risk of, of burnout. And that's like really what you don't want is because we're like, I'm always saying happy staff or I think there's a stat they're they're 20% more productive. Imagine 20%. It's huge. So the take home message then in your negotiation with the boss is? Is if you want to pay rise, very simple, you're going to have to talk about the just and this is just across the board. If you want to pay rise or if you want, you know, added benefits, you're going to talk about what you bring to the company, not no, what you, your output brings to the company. So not the work that you do, but what the work that you do, the value that it adds to the company. That's just across the board how you ask for a pay rise. And then if they can't give you a financial pay rise, I don't think it's time to get mad with them and be annoyed that they don't appreciate your work. It, it really isn't that. It seems to be about the cost. But think of other things, out of the box things that you would like. Extra holiday days, you know, pension, healthcare, some flexibility in your working week. That kind of mm. things that so you can So always get. create options. Yeah, create options. I think most employers now are want to work with their employees and staff retention is the third most important thing and most uh, biggest concern, mm. you know, for employee, employers this year. Yasmin, lots to think about. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Yasmin El-Kirshi from All Pro Recruitment in Tullamore. Here with the news and views that you can use. Midlands Today. Midlands 103. So, you want to support your local team? You feel like booking the tickets, but you have to do it online. And that's a headache for some. Not for everybody. David Hollywood is here from the Midlands 103 Sports Department. What's the thinking from the GAA perspective? Just give us the rough guidance and we'll get into their full response to our caller in a moment. Good morning, Will. Yes, so th- there's a multitude of reasons why the GA have gone in the direction that they have done. One of the main ones, which having spoken to one of the Midlands uh, County Board's PROs yesterday uh, to get some background on this, um, became even more apparent when you talk about matters locally. Uh, there's a huge amount of administration and security and a requirement of responsibility in one way or the other over a huge sum of cash when you take cash at the turnstiles. And for a voluntary organisation, or certainly in the GA's case, a majoritively 
voluntary organisation and at local level completely voluntary you've got people uh, handling vast amounts of cash and it's not like there's a history of security issues with money with the GA or anything like that but if you can with one fell swoop remove that complication it makes administering the sport significantly easier and the other side of the coin there uh, as well is from a planning perspective when you get online sales exclusively, you can build up the picture of trends and your kind of planning information is all a lot easier as a consequence. There is, however, a big downside for a lot of the people who want to support the sport and be involved in it. Not everybody is going to be happy, as you've said, and Fergus is one of those. He's a leash man who I think got a little bit lost and then ended up in Westmeath. Morning, Fergus. Good morning. How are you? Very well, thank you. What happy are your New views Year's on this and many happy returns? Tell us your point of view. Well, my point of view is that it's it's it's, uh, it's ridiculous the idea that it's to do with administration and because prior to this there was no problem with cash being taken at the styles or whatever, and it's also taken away the spontaneity of people going to matches last minute, you know, and then there's the isolation of certain people. I know a lot of people that will not go to matches, including myself, because you either have to book online or you have to go to your local centre store or whatever and get a ticket in advance. And then there's a situation where if a ticket is purchased and you're not able to attend, there's no refund facility. So all of this being considered, Fergus, how has your relationship with the GAA developed or changed since this policy's come in? It has changed because I, I'm I'm an avid GA supporter for the last 60 years, but I haven't gone to a lot of matches in the last couple of years simply because of what I've stated already. Yeah. You know, and you know, it, it, it's the whole idea of people going there, chewing up. There's a bit of banter on the way in. You meet people at the styles, however, have the conversation, and you know the the. The amazing thing is you have to you can't pay cash at the styles, but yet when you go inside, you can pay cash to purchase your, your team programme. I, I have noticed the uh, contradiction in that, and usually the tuck shops take cash only, which is uh, another yeah, question another to apply one. to yeah, it. So, you know, no cash at the styles, but you can go in and buy your, your, your team programme or the tuck shop, purchase stuff from the tuck shop for cash. Looking at, so looking at your own personal situation, day. Fergus, um, Obviously, you've been a lifelong fan of the GAA and this policy looks like it's here to stay. Do you think in the future you'll be able to find a way back to attending the sport, be it um, through booking online or, as you say, uh, centres and super values in Westmeath, for instance, uh, do uh, take cash for tickets? Would any of those options, do you think you'll return to the sport um, if this is the situation going forward? It's not necessarily here to stay because... um, the NCT tried to bring in the same situation a couple of years ago, where they wouldn't take cash if you're getting your car NCT'd. Yeah. That situation was overturned. It's right? about, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, for somebody to suggest that this is here to stay, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. And even in relation to being able to purchase a ticket from Centra, um, I was unable to purchase a ticket for the Abhorrent Cup match from Centra. They only cover the league and the championship. Okay. I think ultimately this will come down to numbers and if there are enough people like you, Fergus, who no longer attend, that will be reflected in the coffers and they will have to review the policy. 
I suppose the question is whether you are in a, a small minority or maybe a larger minority or even in the majority. Who knows? Well, it'd be interesting to see what the feedback is because I know a certain situation developed last year where a friend of mine had purchased the ticket, but when he went to attend the match, his phone wasn't working properly and he had a problem gaining admission, even though he, he had purchased the ticket. It's a, it's a situation that has left a number of GA fans um, with their noses out of joint like yourself, uh, Fergus. And as you say, um, I imagine the GA's response and perspective will be dictated uh, by by how this affects attendances uh, going forward and, and in recent seasons. We really appreciate you coming on to talk to us about the issue this morning. And just, just one thing before you go. It's a pity that, um, and I hate to say it, maybe it's typical of the GA hierarchy, that they wouldn't bring somebody on to discuss this. It's very easy to send in a letter, a formal letter or a formal correspondence, but to come on and debate it live on radio is a different scenario. And I'm kind of not surprised that they didn't put somebody forward, actually. Yes, we did uh, ask for a spokesperson to be provided and uh, they did provide us instead with a statement, a relatively comprehensive statement, but still um, no spokesperson on the issue as things stand. And, for... and even, even on that, it might be comprehensive, but it does show maybe the scant regard they have for certain followers of the GA. I if, think, they're yeah. to, uh, if they're down to just the monetary end of it or whatever and needing to know how many you're going to attend or whatever, to me that doesn't stack up. Because there was never a problem with that five years ago. No, as... it's a sport. It's a sport. It's an amateur sport. It's supposed to facilitate people of all ages, all ages, all communities. And I mean, we're on, and it's been advertised, radio, television, everywhere about isolation, about getting people back into the community, getting people involved. And I know lots of people, countrywide, that are not going to matches. Elderly people in particular, elderly people living on their own. And whether or not they can go online, I could, I can go online, I can do that, no problem. Mm. But it's, it's a matter of principle. And you don't see your perspectives and principles changing in the short term anyway? No, I don't think necessarily it will change because, you know, because somebody, the hierarchy, say it should be this way, that doesn't necessarily make it right. And I really would love, I, I, it's very disappointing again that the GA wouldn't put somebody forward. Fergus, glad to give you the platform. Thank you very much for taking the call yeah, today. I appreciate, your, I appreciate your time and thanks, thanks a million. So, Fergus may not be alone if you have the same opinion. 083 30 10 103 on text and WhatsApp. Equally though, if you see this as being just a reflection of life in 2024 and perfectly appropriate, don't be silent either. Uh, just very quickly, that GAA response, they made a couple of points um, also to dispel any notion of tickets being available to insiders only. Yeah, that it, usually tickets were made available through clubs and therefore you have a bit of a closed shop dynamic. This exists with rugby, for instance. You cannot get a Six Nations rugby ticket as a as a a fan of the sport from outside a club. So um, that was one of the motivations. And I think one of the other things to note here is they don't dictate to county boards what they should do with their club championships, but nearly all county boards are going in the same direction. And 
whatever it is from an administrative perspective, um, is certainly working for the GA on that side of things, uh, whether or not at the kickback from fans will uh, enact a short, medium or long term change in the policy obviously remains to be seen. Love the Midlands? Love. Good morning. Still on the agenda today. The Friday panel takes you through all that has been happening over the New Year period and the cost of heating your home over a month, over the winter, pick a period and just for a straw poll tell me roughly what you're paying for the coal briquettes oil gas if it's a more modern home the electricity and I'll tell you why in around 10 minutes that I'm asking that question and Rory Cowan shall be here ahead of his appearance on Dancing with the Stars and as we spend a phenomenal amount of money, €140 Euro on average per adult in this country on online fitness and well-being each year, how do you get the most bang for your book? When you call 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. If you were listening yesterday, you would have heard a rather powerful testimony from a Tullamore man who, from the age of 18, started to dabble with cocaine. And eventually that turned into a habit which cost him €200 Euro a day. Ian Sullivan has since completed a 28-day programme and has been in a continuum of care ever since. And he says activities like going to the gym, spending time with his children, that is what now gives him the reward that he formerly found from cocaine. It took me a long, long time. You know, I, I couldn't accept it. I reached out for help and I went to different bits and pieces And but people would tell me, you know, Ian, you have a problem and I could never live with that I had a problem because I didn't think I had a problem. I thought I could just keep going the way I was going and control everything and be in control uh, when I clearly wasn't. And following his interview, many parents had contacted us about their own situations and indeed their own concerns if they have been lucky enough to avoid that, but if they have children coming of age who may be falling in with the wrong crowd, what to look out for? Well, Professor Bobby Smith is a consultant, child and adolescent psychiatrist with the HSE. Bobby, you're welcome to the programme. Good morning. Good morning, Will. Imagine you're the parent of a teenager. You know they're in perhaps the wrong crowd. What should you be looking out for? Um, I suppose, Will, um, you know, there isn't a terribly simple answer to that question. But um, as parents, I suppose we know our, our, our sons and daughters well and we're, I suppose, should trust our own judgment in terms of, of any significant change we see in them. So um, a huge issue, say, with drugs like cocaine is just the cost. So, you know, money will be disappearing and there'll be constant requests for money, um, um, perhaps money disappearing from, you know, your wallet or within the house. Um, And if someone is engaged in a lot of substance use, it tends to typically be at weekends. So, um, you know, you may or may not, if you're up late whenever your son or daughter comes in, notice them. 
seeming to be particularly intoxicated or you may see them struggle the next day. Um, if someone's engaged in a lot of substance use over a weekend, there's often a, a bit of a crash in mood during the first few days of the week. Um, and um, so I suppose there's some of the, the non-specific uh, signs that, that parents may notice. And I suppose the, the bottom line that I would suggest that parents sort of trust is that anytime you see a sort of a, a significant change in your son or daughter, anytime you're worried or concerned, I, I think rather than wait to gather loads of evidence, uh, I think it's, it makes sense to step in and express concern early on. You don't what, have to what does that in. sound like, though, Bobby? Because, again, dealing with people of a certain age coming into yeah. independence and always being perhaps oppositional to their parents, you have to frame it properly. Yeah, I think you do well. So I, I wouldn't be stepping in and sort of saying, are you using drugs or I'm worried you've got a drug problem. I just sort of just step in and sort of say, I'm worried about you. You know, your mood seems to, you know, just if you want, say what you're seeing. In other words, if you're seeing someone whose mood seems to be all over the place, they seem to be way more angry and irritable. They seem to constantly have money problems. Just say what you're seeing and, and demonstrate or indicate concern and worry and see where that goes. The, converse, the door might be slammed in your face the first time you raise it. Um, but I think as a parent, if we're coming from a position of concern, we're more likely to to get to the truth a little bit quicker in terms of what's going on if, rather than stepping in sort of, you know, with a specific accusation, uh, if you will. I know you may not have heard all of what Ian said yesterday. He made a couple of points. First, that he would have believed for a long time that he had it under control and that applies to many addictions, of course, not just cocaine, alcohol and others. And that could very well be the response to mom or dad. I got this. It's OK. Yeah, um, like I think with all addictions and again, you know, our most common addiction in Ireland is, of course, alcohol. Um, it, it is quite typically um the person with the addiction who's the, the last person to notice within a family situation. Um, there will be a tendency sort of for, for people to rationalize um, their ability to manage it. And they might acknowledge at some level, okay, things that, you know, that, that things have gone a bit askew, but they'll express confidence in their ability to get things back under control. Um, ideally as a parent or, or, or you know, uh, concerned family member in that situation. Um, I think it's important, I guess, to call it as you see us, you know, again, to continue to express concern. If it's reached that level where the problem is now out in the open, at least there's some acknowledgement that there is substance use. Um, to, If you're worried that it's not in control, you know, to, to express concern around that. Parents don't have to operate in isolation here as well. There are some supports available. Um, there is the drugs.ie website where you can get some information about substance use. You can contact uh, the helpline, the drug and alcohol helpline, which is a phone number with anyone, which anyone can phone. And it often is actually parents who, who, who phone that helpline where you've got worries or concerns about a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife, uh, a parent. Uh, you, you, you know, you can phone that helpline. Um, and but where you see that that you know things are are, are not working out and the, the, your loved one is not regaining control of their relationship with this substance, um, it probably is a 
a time to be urging them to go and, and talk to someone, talk to a professional who can help them be certain that they're gaining control over it. Uh, and that's where you turn to the drug and alcohol services. And once that door is opened, where does it lead? Into the drug and alcohol services. Mm. Usually it's an outpatient-based intervention. You know, people will come along, they will talk to a counsellor who will deal with them in a non-judgmental, open manner and try and help them figure out the predicament that that they found themselves in and, and, and then help them figure out a way to, to move forward in that situation. Uh, for some for some people, young or old, I suppose, that there can be background issues that, that may be driving the substance use, such as mental health issues or past life experiences that perhaps haven't been dealt with. And, and by dealing with those other issues, the substance use uh, problem may sort of fade away into the background. Others may need a more intensive response to the uh, substance use and I think in, in Ian's case it sounded like he went into residential treatment but uh, that's that's you know the most common treatment is actually an outpatient based community based treatment where people continue to live at home live their lives just go into appointments uh, a few times a week um, uh, and achieve change uh, via that route but others will go into residential treatment. Mm-hmm. A comment Ian made as well, and this may not apply to everybody, but it did for him. He was in on two occasions, and the first time he concedes he didn't really want to be there. He didn't really want uh, to embrace it. He was doing it to get people off his back. And it was only on the second occasion when he wanted to have a better life that it made a difference. And is that something you can, uh, as the concerned family member, is that something you can talk a person into or do they have to come around eventually themselves? Um, I suppose that pattern will, to be honest with you, is quite frequently encountered. Um, you know, um, I, you know I, I have involvement, I suppose, with one of the uh, adolescent residential treatment services, the, the Ashling, which is based in, in Kilkenny. Um, and sort of it's their experience there as well that, that oftentimes you know, people will come in during the first admission and they're sort of going through the motions. It is in part to get people off their backs um, and, and maybe they're excessively confident that they are on top of it uh, and that they don't really need all this help. But uh, and sometimes it does take a second or perhaps even a third or fourth go of treatment before people will, will finally um, land at a place where, where they accept i suppose that they've that they just don't have any ability to maintain a relationship with this substance um without sort of embracing a commitment really to 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 full abstinence um and that's often the necessary goal for people who've got a very significant addiction that that they you know that it, it needs to be a a full stop in terms of the end of their relationship with this substance let's maybe take it back a step we've talked about the treatment, but prevention is perhaps for many parents uh, something they would rather achieve. So, I'm reading, for instance, a report from the Health Research Board suggesting that while alcohol consumption among younger people is on the decline, cocaine use is on the increase. So, uh, traditionally, we've maybe had that conversation with our children or, or uh, about drinking and indeed it's introduced in schools the notion of being a pioneer is there a case for something similar on drugs and how might that conversation sound um 
Yeah, I think the conversation about alcohol and drugs, uh, you know, really is the one conversation, to be honest with you, both in school and at home. Um, you know, alcohol at the end of the day is a drug. Uh, it's just the drug that we happen to regulate access to uh, within societies more for historical and, and traditional reasons than, 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 than for any other reason. Um, and it's often actually the gateway drug um, for for substances, certainly like cocaine. Um, cocaine is most likely to crop up in situations where there's a lot of alcohol consumption. And people who've got a problem with cocaine are actually most likely to relapse in a situation whereby they've had a few drinks. Um, I think in any situation in Ireland, any setting in Ireland, parties, pubs, nightclubs, where there's lots of people drunk, there will be cocaine. So consequently, it's important that, that parents um, do have conversations um, with their sons and daughters, I suppose, about um, alcohol and drugs. And, you know, no doubt the son or daughter will sort of say, I wouldn't touch that, it's dreadful. And, they're, you know, they're probably speaking the truth when they say that but it's still worth having having the conversation asking them what they've noticed or you know how they would handle this if if one of their friends uh, produced a little bag of coke and sort of said sure why not give this a go uh, and you know, people are more inclined to, to say yes to that type of offer after they've had a few drinks so it's worthwhile again thinking through at a sober time um how you're gonna how you might manage that situation because it's highly likely um, if your sons and daughters are out and about in any sort of a party scene, they will be encountering uh, encountering drugs. Hopefully, they're making sensible choices in those situations. And in truth, most young people do. While the cocaine problem has been has increased in Ireland over the last um, five six years, it's still the vast majority of young people do not use cocaine. Uh, you know, it's the figures maybe from the the last survey would indicate that maybe it's about one in every thirty. Uh, young adults has used cocaine in the last month. So that means, you know, 29 out of 30 are, are mm, not mm. used cocaine in the last month. So we shouldn't be catastrophizing the situation, yes. but Keep... we do need to recognize that use has increased. Well, with everything in context, for anybody who is concerned and is looking for access to resources or, or help, where would you point them? Um. I suppose with some colleagues, actually, I mean, my day job, uh, Will, is, is working the team, you know, in, in adolescent addiction treatment. And, and with some of our colleagues, um, we worked with sort of drug study and the HSE to put together some webinars. It's called Parents Matter. So if, if you know, if anyone is interested in a longer term sort of review of this particular topic of substance use in general, it's not cocaine specific, uh, but it is quite focused on teenagers. So to look at the drugs.ie website and look at the section or just Google Parents Matter Drugs.ie, you'd find some of those webinars. I think there's a podcast there as well uh, for a little bit more information. Um, your sons and daughters, you know, if they are of school age, they, they should hopefully be accessing SPHE, the Social Personal and Health Education Programme in their secondary school, which does have a module on substance use. Um, so, you know, as parents, it's good to be curious about what's happening in that module, it deal, or those modules, it, it deals with mental health and a whole range of, of social and personal issues, but including substance use. Um, so I suppose they're the, the key resources. And the Drugs.ie website is a useful resource if you've got any specific concerns about any new drugs, because fashion, I suppose, around mm. drugs changes um, sort, of, sort of year on year. Indeed. Bobby, grateful for your time. Thank you very much for taking the call. Thanks, Will.
Professor Bobby Smith is a consultant, child and adolescent psychiatrist with the HSE. Next, how much does it cost to heat your home over, say, the winter or each month or annually? Just a straw poll, 083 30 103, text or WhatsApp when it's convenient to do so. The name you trust with the news you need. Midlands Today. Midlands 103. Coming back to the phone call from Fergus Daly earlier, he's a leash man living in Westmeath these days, but still very much wanting to keep up with the GAA, but on principle does not want to buy tickets online, disagrees with the system for the reasons he outlined, and he certainly isn't alone in his objection. One caller saying it's totally unfair to older people, it is discriminating against an older person or anybody who is not comfortable booking online. And I know a number of people who are not going to games for this reason. Totally agree with Fergus, says another caller, and amazing how spokespeople are never available when a debate arises out of a topic. A lady on text, Caroline, says, it seems to be motivated by money. They are taking the game away from ordinary people. And uh, another caller saying, I disagree Um Fergus is absolutely right. As a former player and supporter, I believe it is a disgrace that there isn't at least one gate open for cash customers. Hierarchy are the problem. In Westmeath, the county board officials seem to be not interested in listening to their patrons, but when fundraising is needed, cash doesn't seem to be a problem. That is from Matty. Another listener says cash is legal tender and should be accepted everywhere. I didn't go to the ploughing this year because they decided to be cashless at the gates. And indeed, ploughing numbers were down in 2023, although the weather probably contributed in no small part to that. I asked how much does it cost to heat your home? And there are many different answers, so... Brenda, for instance, you use brickets, turf, sticks, oil and electricity. And the cost is €4,000, a little bit over, she says. And here's a listener whose house was built in 2020. It's a three-bed, so underfloor heating, air to water, latest technology. So you would imagine it will be, therefore, less than the €4,000 Brenda has quoted. No, five thousand euro before electricity discounts. Air to water not as economical as I would have expected with a big cry face emoji. Will we are in a three bed cottage, it costs fifteen hundred euro per year for turf and approximately five hundred euro for brickets, coal and timber blocks. The difference between an old home to a new home. Thank you for that. Well, the reason I'm asking is because one lady is paying through the nose to try and heat her home, and her name is Jennifer Coonan. She's from Tullamore. Morning, Jennifer. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Tell us where you're living. Um, I'm living in High Street in Tullamore. And the property is through the Sophia Housing Trust, I understand. Um, the, well, I was, I've been fighting with the council for over 12 years and the council referred me to Sophia and 
I've been meeting up with, before I got the property, I was meeting up with a key worker from Sophia for about a year. And they had offered, they offered me an apartment up on the High Street Road. And when did you move in, Jennifer? I moved in in March. After how long? After being on the list for years. how long? 12 years. Okay. Yeah. I've got post-stress and family, my partner's family, and then some, some nights on the street. So it sounds like after a very rough period in your life, that was a good positive yeah. start to get the keys last March. Yeah. And was everything in good condition when you moved in? Yeah. Just the layout of the apartment. You have to walk in through my bedroom to get into my kitchen and sit in there. Right. Mm. That's far from ideal, but... Yeah, very that, far that, That's not your big issue. Your big issue no. is what happened once the weather became a little colder. Uh, mold started to form. The apartment is freezing. And when I take out my clothes in the morning to put them on, they are damp from the wardrobe. And then the storage problems starting to form now. They did um, resolve the storage yesterday, but it, it, that's the third time it's after happening. I was in it, the shower once a few weeks ago and a lot of it came up through the, the draining in the shower. So to avoid the damp setting in and obviously to mm-hmm. try and keep warm in the winter you would have the heating on pretty Const- consistently constantly even. Yeah. okay yeah. Mm-hmm. like the government grant that we got 150 that was gone within two weeks and is the apartment heated just by electricity or do you have oil and other sources as well storage heaters and there's only two of them so how much was your electricity bill, the last one you received? Uh, I pay as I go. So I put 20 in a week on top of my government grant. So what is your ask? And, and I will come to the statement we received from Sophia, the Housing Association, yeah. in a moment. What is your ask of them? Um, to be transferred into a place where I know I'm going to be, I'm 31 years of age now. I'm fighting with the council 12 years. I'm a recovering addict. They know all this. And um, I'm seven years clean in March, or February, sorry. And I just want somewhere where I can settle down, start my family. Because I can't bring a baby into this place or start a family. I can't even have a dog or a cat. And to deal with the mould, first of all, that's a health risk if you inhale the spores. Yeah. Have you considered going yeah, to buy a fungicidal solution, putting it on the walls? To be uh, honest, Sophia has been out and took photos and they said they'd um, resolve the problem. But it hasn't. That man hasn't been back yet. <laughs> okay, but would you consider buying the fungicidal solution and killing the mould yourself? Oh, I would, yeah. No problem. So... The only thing is, I've no ventilation in this apartment. So. Have you windows you can open? Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, but I suppose it's, it's one thing having windows open and an airflow in the summer mm-hmm. months. Yeah. 
But we contacted Sophia and they don't yeah. comment on individual cases, they say. Yeah. Um, but they are leasing five apartments on High Street, they have confirmed. They okay, are yeah. leased from private owners under the state-sponsored repair and lease scheme. They are working yeah. collaboratively with the Midland Simon community to provide yeah. support to tenants, they say. Um, they engaged... Yeah, they engaged a structural engineer to conduct a full mm. survey before they leased these apartments and the report was satisfactory. It didn't indicate any dampness or problems mm-hmm. with heating or drainage. Uh, when they were alerted to a blocked drain, they say they responded in a prompt manner. Yeah. And it was unblocked by a plumber. This is all correct? It was unblocked by a plumber yesterday. Or not yesterday, before yesterday, yeah. So, and I can't shower at the moment because my shower is leaking and it's going down through to uh, the apartment underneath me. So, but I have showered in. Yeah, they've also said that when they receive a report, a manager from their support team will come in, visit tenants by agreement, inspect the premises, check electric fans and heatings and alarms, and it's part of their ongoing support. Yeah. Now, I haven't looked at daft.ie, for instance, today. It's going to show mm. some properties available for rent in Tullamore. But the last time I checked, there, there uh, weren't very many options. Prices. Yeah. And the prices are just ridiculous. So I, I would have some sympathy for uh, Sophia. You say you want to move, but they may not have anywhere for you to move to. You see, I was dealing with the council and the council brushed me off to Sophia. Like, I have no problem with Sophia. They've been very good to me. Only for Sophia, I won't have this place that I have. And I'm very grateful for that. But the council had no um, right to brush me off like that. They used to give me vouchers to get B&Bs, but you know I was taken anywhere at the time. It's probably still the same way, I don't know. Yeah, well, I'm just looking price-wise and there's not a lot available in the Tullamore area, uh, mm-hmm. but a two-bed house is €1,500 Euro per month. Yeah. A one-bed apartment is €1,000 per month. Mm-hmm. A two-bed apartment, €1,400 Euro per month. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to afford that at all. So your message to the council today is what, Jennifer? That they need to, that I hope that they'll take this as a message to help me because I want, I'm 31 years of age, as I said, I want to settle down in my forever home, start my family, get my little pet that I've always wanted, and move on with my life instead of constantly fighting back and forth, fighting back and forth. I have a profession, a dream profession that. And some days I can't even go out there because my happiness is took away from... I do be freezing getting up in the morning. I don't want to be getting out of bed because it's too cold. But you still are. You're going out to work. You're oh, I do. supporting I, I, yourself. I, you're yeah. trying to turn your life around. I, I hear mm-hmm. your dilemma. I absolutely do, mm-hmm. Jennifer. I just... Mm-hmm. I, I'm looking at so many people who are in a similar position as well calling in to say 
they would love to have mm-hmm. accommodation options. Unfortunately, there's such a shortage. And, and you presumably want to stay in Tullamore. Uh, no, I don't mind either Portlaoise, Tullamore, anywhere really. Jennifer, thanks for calling the programme. We'll ask Offaly County Council uh, for a response as well, but I imagine they'll probably point to the the length of the housing list and the limited options available. I have constant, before I received it, um, I was constantly emailing them after emailing them, saying my phone call after phone call, and none of them would get back to me. All right, Jennifer, thanks for the call. Jennifer Coonan from Tullamore. It's just gone 25 to 11. Now, still on the agenda today, the Friday panel looks back at the New Year period and everything you may have missed. Also, how to get the best bang for your buck with wearable technology. And Rory Cowan, the star of... Dancing with the Stars is on the way next. It's time for the latest Community Diary with Tommy Solicitors at Loan, one of the largest, longest established and most respected firms of solicitors in the Midlands. Moat Slimming World welcomes new members every Thursday in Dunashee, Amenity and Heritage Park in Moat. You can contact Charlene in Moat Slimming World through Facebook for more details. Lee Shoffley Education and Training Board holds drop-in clinics for form filling and digital online support every Monday morning in Tullamore Library, 10 until 12, and in Port Leash Library every Tuesday morning, again 10 until 12. And it's a free and confidential service. No appointment needed, just drop in. Anam Cara supports parents after bereavement, and it will hold its next Midlands meeting in the Mullingar Park Hotel next Wednesday, 7.15pm, and they welcome any bereaved parent, regardless of the age of the child or the circumstances. You don't need to register, just arrive on the evening, and for details, see anamcara.ie. And if you want to brush up on your writing, maths or computer skills, contact your local adult learning service on 057 86 61338. That's in Offaly. Or if you are, excuse me, that's in Leash. And if you're in Offaly, it's 057 93 4 Or you can check out LOETB on Facebook for full details. Now, if you want to check out any of the information again, go to midlands103.com, click on that community diary. And if I missed something that's happening in your area, call 0818 300 103. The Community Diary, with thanks to Tormy Solicitors, experienced in the areas of law that affect people on a day-to-day basis. Tormies.ie Midlands Today, with the stories beyond the headlines. Midlands 103 Friday morning on Midlands 103, Mr Blue Sky. Marie in Portlaoise, your house was built in the 1990s. It is a four-bed bungalow, B-E-R-C rating, Cost for electricity, €3,500 last year. Smokeless fuel, sticks and oil. Households heat very well, but it's a case of uh, being in a T-shirt all year round. And another caller is paying, wow, €6,000 for electricity every year. Okay, they say they're running an EV off that as well. That would put the bill up a bit, depending on 
which hour of the day you're charging, whether you get the night rates or not. Will, I am sick of people looking for freebies. Pay your way, get your own opportunities like the rest of us, says a listener here. But another caller, a little more sympathetic. Will, that poor girl sounds so sad and I really wish I could help her. Fair play for being strong. As a recovering addict, she will be frowned upon. And I'm very, very upset for her. Another person, Stephen in Belmont, says the sad part of this is we will never eradicate the drug scourge. We have to deal with it. Governments across the globe have failed to tackle it. And we should be boycotting countries such as Colombia and Mexico, not have our foreign minister visit them. They are two of the biggest suppliers in the world. And just one more on the cost of heating your home but also the environmental agenda. Well, if the government wants us to burn smokeless fuel, well, that smokeless fuel should be cheaper, or at least subsidised, to entice us to do it. Likewise, biodiesel should be cheaper than regular diesel. And again, the case is made by this person. We still need to burn briquettes, and just because Bordnamona has stopped harvesting, doesn't mean we don't need them and instead we bring them thousands of miles from another country go figure thank you for your messages Rory Cowan um, one caller says I met him in the was it the NEC some years ago I'm a great admirer of him and he had time for everybody we have something in common in that we've both met David Bowie and Paul McCartney. I would love to hear stories of his time with EMI Music. That's from Mick. Indeed, and unfortunately, Mick, Rory, just last minute complication. He's not available to us today, but we will hopefully chat to him ahead of his appearances on Dancing with the Stars. And sorry to anybody let down by that. Just crossed wires and we will be chatting to him soon enough in the next few days. Next, wearable tech. Online fitness apps, those programs that tell you how much to eat and when. Which are the best ones? Because we're spending a bloody fortune on them. Love, love, Midlands Today. Midlands we love our technology, and particularly when it comes to fitness and well-being. Pure Telecom says we spent £526 million Euro in the last 12 months on such technologies. That works out at €143 Euro per average adult in Ireland. So if you're going to spend money on mindfulness, mental health apps, wearable technology, all of these gadgets, money's scarce. So let's get maximum bang for your buck by picking the brain of our technology and media commentator, Andy O'Donoghue. Andy, good morning. And good morning to you, Will. What have you on you at the moment? What are you wearing that's tracking your temperature, your heart rate or your <laughs> other vitals? Um, I have to say the device I rely on the most is the Huawei GT3 Pro, which is a smartwatch made by Huawei, the, uh, the very successful Chinese company. And uh, it does uh, things like... Um, tracks my uh, my walks if i go out for a run it tracks that it tracks swimming and cycling but it also does things like monitor my heart rate 24 hours a day it monitors my sleep and it also 
measures things like arterial stiffness. So I think a growing trend is that we started using these devices to track activity, mm. but increasingly we are using them for serious um, serious insights into our health, particularly, say, for people um, over 30 who begin to take sort of lifestyle and well-being more seriously than we did when we were younger, Will. But that's one of the challenges. When you're bombarded with so much information, it's identifying what the important details are. So a pedometer can tell you how many steps you do, for instance. Do you necessarily need to know 24 hours a day what your heart rate is? Um, you don't need to know, but where it's interesting, and it is really fascinating to see how these devices have become mainstream, and the Pure Telecom research illustrates, I mean, half uh, half a billion euros spent in Ireland is astonishing. So it shows that people are adapting them. But I suppose what becomes interesting is you have different categories of people who use these devices. You have the person who wants to lose a few pounds. They want to get out after Christmas. They might even think, oh, maybe in the summer or the spring, I'll do a 5K. And they download an app for that. They use, they buy maybe an entry level Fitbit for around 100 euros and off they go. Then you have the serious athletes, people who will use devices from Garmin or maybe the Apple, uh, Apple Watch Ultra. And they're the kind of people who might do triathlons and they want to get insights into when the best time to train is. But for most of us, and uh, I, I think it, it's really about keeping an eye on your health. So we want to know how well we're sleeping because that is incredibly important to your overall well-being. But we also want to know things like perhaps we do want to know when our heart rate peaks during the day. And that can be an illustration Perhaps you find yourself in stressful situations every day. Now, that might be um, when you're uh, stuck in traffic. It might be at work. But they are very useful insights when you reflect over a month, Will, to see where the stress and perhaps the high heart rate came um, during, during your days. Interesting one from Lisa. So when it comes to monitoring temperature, she says during COVID, that was very important. But also now... She is trying to conceive. So temperature is an indication of ovulation and she has an app on her phone that is linked to her watch that will identify when is the opportune time to do the deed. So all of these metrics matter depending on mm. the situation. Uh, Lisa's point is a very good one. And increasingly, um, Fitbit and other companies advertise specific female health functionality on their watches. And, um, you know, both apps and also the watch itself are very useful for people who may be on a fertility journey. And um, that is a very important feature for, um, say, for women buying the watch or buying uh, devices like uh, Fitbit. Alternatively, you have very sophisticated devices now and um, say if you look at something like the Withings Scan Watch, there's two, there's a few versions of this. I think the the entry level one starts at about two hundred and fifty euros, but the the Scan Watch uh, two provides, believe it or not, it has a built-in ECG. So that is uh, a serious um, measurement of your heart. Now you think, okay, that's very interesting, but it means nothing to me. Well, what it actually can do is when you run an ECG using the Withings Scan Watch, you can save it as a PDF and you can send it to your mm. doctor. Mm. So I think there are Apple things Watch like... I introduced that on the Series 4. And... And, 
I, 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 and indeed, and uh, and others, a live core uh, have a product called the uh, Cardia Mobile, and it is literally the size of a credit card. Why that's very important is that it is consumerizing healthcare. And so if you are concerned about anything, of course you should speak to your GP, but what if you can send him your own reading or perhaps it's your sleep analysis and you're worried about something like sleep apnea. Being able to record this data yourself when the doctor isn't there is incredibly useful, Will. Well, take the ECG, for example. That will show up atrial fibrillation, which can raise the risk of stroke and clot. And if you just run it on your whatever device, we won't name different brands, but it'll uh, alert you to something that you won't feel. You won't pick up on this irregular heart rhythm. It's only through an ECG that you will spot it. So it has its medical uses and it has its uh, potential fitness uses. Um, I just want to move slightly away and we're slightly pressed for time. The watch seems to have taken over as the dominant wearable. I remember when we first discussed this, you said, oh, you might wear a a T-shirt and it will track all of your vitals. Wearable tech, is it just Mm. on the wrist? It's not. And um, you're right. I did think that we would move towards um, clothing and shoes. They are used generally by very high level athletes for even deeper um, uh, muscle analysis. However, the wrist is where things belong at the minute, the watch and the tracker. One thing to keep an eye out for, and it might suit a lot of your listeners, Will, is um, rings. Um, So they look like a wedding ring, come in gold or black from companies like Aura and uh, Accent, I think. Um, They cost a couple of hundred euros. They are, but the thing is, nobody knows you're wearing a fitness tracker. They do the sleep analysis. They have female health functionality, and they also do heart rate monitoring. And why I like them is perhaps somebody says, well, you know, I need to lose a few pounds. I need to get fit. They can do it in a very discreet way where no one's asking them how it's going, and they kind of take ownership of their own health journey. And I really like that as a feature. Andy, as ever, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Will. Good morning. Now, still on the agenda today, the Friday panel catches us up with the serious and not-so-serious side of the news over the last seven days, and maybe even some bold predictions for 2024. Plans to build a new advanced manufacturing facility in Mullingar seem to be on hold as a result of a legal challenge. Now, this factory is considered important to the local economy in the Midlands and would hold huge potential for jobs. And construction was due to get underway shortly at the Marlinstown IDA Park in Mullingar. Finnegale Councillor Andrew Duncan has been explaining the situation. Yeah, well, just literally at the death, the, the, there was an objection put into the process in the form of a High Court judicial review from one of the tenderers. So that, that judicial review will have to, to go through and the, it, the review is looking for the um, tender process to be set aside and a new process started. So um, that's just, it's going to delay the whole project at this stage. Yeah, no, I understand it was one of those that tendered the third place uh, in, in the competition that has initiated the judicial review. And the judicial review itself seeks to set aside um, the process and, and begin it again. It's taken a lot of time to get to this stage, and I think the idea uh, we're ready to award the contract. It was it was all teed up, so I, I, I guess 
no more than the rest of us, the, the CEO is very disappointed that it isn't starting, um, well, it isn't starting anytime soon. It'll have to go through the whole judicial review process. So I would suspect that probably is something that, that they would look at. Although I'm not suggesting there's anything untoward. There may well not be. Sometimes these things are initiated to enact procedural errors that, that, that just may, may be a problem as opposed to anything else. And in a statement to Midlands 103 this morning, IDA Ireland confirms an application for judicial review regarding the tender process for this advanced manufacturing unit has been lodged in the High Court and therefore, as it is before the courts, IDA is precluded from making any further comment at this stage. John Gagan is the spokesperson for Economic Development, Enterprise and Tourism with Mullingar Chamber. John, good morning. Good morning, Will. I suppose many people outside the business community might be scratching their heads and wondering, well, why is an advanced manufacturing facility so important to the area? Oh, these, these are proven route to delivering value in every economy in Ireland. And, and the IDA, it's a model they've adopted about 40 years ago. It's worked really well. They come along and build a building and then the, the company that wants to move to Ireland has the premises ready to move into immediately. So there's no delay in mobilising locally. And we, we, we would think that this building in Mullingar could accommodate 200 jobs in the next three or four years once it's delivered. And that's worth an awful lot of money to the economy and the town and the culture of Mullingar. The difficulty, of course, is that individuals and companies, they have right to due process if they feel aggrieved. And we don't know the circumstances, the merits or otherwise of this. Potentially, could we be looking at a delay of months or even years? Yeah, I think judicial reviews are hard to put a timeline on, but I'm pretty sure like the IDA is one of the most professional organisations in the country. And I'm pretty certain they've done a good job of tendering the package. And whatever grievance the contractor may have will be dealt with in judicial review. But I mean, to my mind, it might delay the thing six months to a year. And I think that we need as a business community and local representatives to support the IDA 100% in the process they've gone through. Because we need to be confident that they can deliver, and they do this every day of the week. So I, I would be absolutely certain they've done a good job. And if it overturns the decision, it may delay it another six months to a year. So I'm thinking we could lose two years in this, but best case scenario, six months to a year. But but we have to back the people who've done the work in SCIDA and the local representatives. And in the absence of this purpose-built facility... Could the case still be made for greenfield development if there's a company that really wants to locate in Mullingar, even in the private sector? Surely there must be options. Absolutely. And the, the best example of that in the country is close by International Science Park, which, which has been delivered in the last five, seven years, where there is planning permission there for 50,000 square foot premises that can be delivered at very short notice if, if the right opportunity arose. But like I said at the beginning, the Americans and the large global farm tech, med tech companies, they want a building that's built and ready to move into. And, and no private investor can really fund that. So we need to rely on the government and the IDA to deliver it. And, and it delivers outstanding results, like I said, out at the beginning. And I suppose to be parochial, there will be other parts of the Midlands and indeed other parts of the country more than happy to accept that investment if Mullingar is unable to. Well, I think we will be able to. And I think if you look at the strategy, the IDA have got other investments approved in other towns across the country and they're going through the same process. I suppose I would flag that Mullingar hasn't had this investment in over 30 years. And, and, and it's high time we got a, an ABS in Mullingar. And I think it will create a, a next 20 years of growth for the town like we haven't seen before that other towns have. 
John, a happy new year. Thank you very much for taking Thanks, our call. Happy new year. John Gagan is spokesperson for economic development and various other things with Mullingar Tourism. Mullingar Chamber, I should say. It's coming up on quarter past 11. Midlands Today's Friday panel. Thanks to Comfort Keepers Home Care. A caring voice and a daily dose of joy. Comfortkeepers.ie Let's meet the first Friday panel of 2024. And I'm told, by the way, sex is off the agenda. (laughs) I'll tell you why it might be on the agenda in just a moment. Um, First of all, Kieran Lambert of Lambert's Pest Control. Good morning. Good morning. You didn't bring any rats? No, but I have a little special guest for you later on. We'll be coming into you after the show, wait till after the show. Charming. You'll get a nice picture of you with it and everything. And yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, he's, Beautiful. Very, he's very worried looking here. <laughs> How's the pest control business at this time uh, of year? Very busy, actually. Yeah, yeah. rats and mice. Mice mainly um, coming in with that weather, the heavy rain just pushes them in and in and in. So it's absolute crazy with them at the moment, yeah. Plus your house is a nice warm oasis in the cold desert. Yeah, yeah. and if you have a little hole on the outside somewhere they're getting in, they'll squeeze in through it. Like all a mouse needs is six millimetre to get in. That's it. Yeah, Yeah, they're able to compress themselves, aren't they? Yeah, just squeeze in on you, yeah, yeah. Very flexible guys. great. Thank God for them. (laughs) You would say (laughs) that, of course, naturally. I'm the only one that says that. Mm. Jim Burke is here as well from Mullingar Autos with Volkswagen and Skoda and a new ID7 stunning looking car at the moment. Good morning. Yes, well, delivery is improving on all our models, so it's looking good for the spring of this year with all the new models coming in. Delivery has improved. Factories in the continent in particular getting away from the Ukrainian war and all that. So mm. It's looking good. And I saw some statistics out during the week. Year-on-year uh, year sales of electric cars picking up. Um, diesel still king, though. Yes, particularly in the Midlands, diesel is still king, but uh, they, there's a modification done in all the electric uh, car pricing, all being reduced across the board with all makes and models and all that. So uh, it'll be a help. They were probably overpriced at the beginning because there was a fierce demand on them they couldn't build them quick enough. But I'd be hoping the market is going to settle down now to more realistic prices and uh, demand is good. And obviously there's going to be some slightly cheaper second-hand models there as well, which there's a good interest in that as well. Risky business, though, because... If you have a customer who paid at the top of the market, they'll have natural depreciation anyway. But if the new price falls, that's going to depress their values further. Uh, they could be a little bit bitter after that. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, as such, the people who did invest in them, those prices have dropped. But luckily enough, when they come to trade and they usually train them, change them in after three years, the price of the new product that we'll be buying will be down as well. So. With, with demand increasing as well, hopefully it'll balance it out, but it's still very much in transition, all the electric car models and all that. But as you say, in the Midlands, diesel is still king, there's no mm. doubt about it. Kyra Fingleton is here as well. She runs Glamping Under the Stars in County Leash. Uh, totally away from electric cars and diesel fumes and everything else. How's business at this time of year? I imagine quiet. Well, um, physically on site, it's very quiet because we close up for the winter time. Um, but um, the phones are ringing and it's a really busy time for bookings. I think over Christmas period, people have time to kind of think about what they're going to do in the new year. And um, we, we've actually got more forward bookings this year than we've ever had before. So great, um, great. lots of group bookings. We tend to get either families with kids or hen party groups. And of course, we never mix the two. Uh, which is a big worry for families coming. They're concerned there could be drunk ladies everywhere, but that's 
just not the case. We would not do that. Um, And I would have thought maybe some aspect of mindful retreat as well, no? Well, we are looking into that, actually. Um, That's something that people have um, been inquiring about. So that's that's another strand that we'll probably start to develop in in due course. But at the moment, um, we we just have the two kind of markets, but we're kind of looking into corporate away getaways Mm. and that kind of thing, team building. So that's that's another area we're looking into. And um, we've just launched today, actually, um, a ladies only girls only glamping weekend um, for the 8th and 9th of March. And that will be a weekend that we've kept the hen parties and the families off the books. And we've, we're offering it just a kind of a opportunity for ladies to get together and, you know, have a few drinks and just chill out and catch up child free. Mm, very so, nice. Yeah. I think International Women's Day is in around then. Anyway. It actually is. Yeah. Yeah. So that was part of the inspiration for that. But we just we do get a lot of inquiries from smaller groups of women. And because we ask hen parties to book out the site so they don't disturb the families, mm. Um, the sort of smaller groups can fall through the gaps a bit. So we said we'd do something for them this year. I was reading as well that dark sky tourism is becoming popular in the Midlands because unlike the cities, we don't have much light pollution outside the towns, obviously. But if you're in a rural part of County Leash and you want to stargaze, you'll be spoiled. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's a great... um, You can see the stars from, from the lamp sites, especially... We have a couple of wildflower meadow areas, so they'd be the perfect place to kind of lie down and look up at the stars. Um, I'll wait for a warmer night if that's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and obviously you have to be careful about cloud cover as well. So, um, But yeah, um, and we have had people who are interested in photography come out to us and, and use the place to take photographs of the stars from, from lamping under the stars, which is great too, yeah. Let's run through the news agenda from the last week and just one of the more tragic notes. 2023... So a sharp increase in road fatalities and no sooner than it was over. In the first three days of 2024, we had as many lives lost, uh, three, three lives in three days. And much debate around speeding, much debate around uh, enforcement as well. We learned that Garda numbers in the road traffic unit had fallen through 2023, more than 40 fewer uh, policing the roads than was the case 12 months ago. I'll start with you, Jim, because obviously you are in the motor trade and you would have some insights. What do you believe is at the root of this? Um, well, as one who did the emergency services on the road years ago before the local authority and fire department took it over, and even modern day firemen will tell you it's mainly down to bad driving, unfortunately. There's a big focus on speeding and all that, but there's a lot of, t- lot of factors there. But uh, and it's unfortunate the, the figures as we see were up last year. The deaths this year were only barely into 2024. And it's very serious there that there, there has been serious deaths already and a lot of casualties as well. The, 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 one of the biggest problems there that so many people that get injured was over 1,250 people mm. suffered from serious injuries last year. And this is a terrible tragedy to families too and all that. So it's very, very sad. And they're building the cars better and safer and all that and it was great to see the figures coming down over the years but now they're on an increase again so there's a lot of factors at, at stake with uh, okay they're blaming the roads blaming this that and the rest but uh, the, the drivers certainly have to be more cautious in it and it's unfortunate when uh, one is in the right with saying an accident and all sorts of blame is put all around the place but it's, it's, it's very very sad and we have to work on it and uh, I'm delighted to see that Minister Chambers is having a constructive engagement with senior Gardaí and so 
let's hope that something will start to improve shortly enough. A question listeners often ask, outside of the German market where you have the autobahn and no speed limits, why in Ireland, for instance, would cars be sold capable of 120, 140, 155 miles an hour, whatever the case might be, when electronically it would be easy to limit these days? Mm. Well, lucky enough that uh, for our business, and as sad as the fatalities are and all that, but people still love their cars and they love their big engines, they love the power of the petrol engine still, lucky enough, and boys will be boys. And uh, uh, technically it can be done, but then you need that power to pass out or when you go from country roads to motorway driving, you need power and you need extra power then when you're pulling a trailer or carrying extra passengers or out like that. And uh, as you can see in the roads, with uh, a lot of them are there are small vans like commercial vehicles involved with these accidents. These vans have big, powerful engines because they have to bring heavy loads. They have to pull trailers sometimes, and then when they're empty, guys are flying to work in the mornings and all that. So you can see them there. No matter what speed you're doing your car, you get a big van to come up and pass you out. So there's a, a lot of criticism there, and and uh, unfortunately, it has to be worked on as well. Kyra, if you were minister for transport. What policy would you consider? <laughs> um, yeah, it's a tricky one. And I, I suppose I'd look at what was causing the accidents. Is it speed? Is it drunk driving? Is it dangerous driving? Um, and try and tackle it appropriately. But um, I think there is a kind of an element of, I think a lot of accidents happen a short distance from home, statistically speaking. I've heard that. Um, and I think people just kind of go into autopilot a bit. And it's kind of about awareness of your own driving responsibility, um, especially, as you say, on the country roads where there are a lot of blind bends and bad lighting and all that kind of thing. Um, And if people are out cycling or walking or especially in January, maybe trying to get their New Year's uh, exercises in, um, that they take responsibility and wear the high-vis vests because sometimes you come around the corner. um, You know, I live in quite a rural part of Leash, a beautiful area, but um, it's, it's... you know, imperative that you wear the high vis if you're on a bike, mm. if you're walking. Um, not to blame pedestrians at all, because obviously, you know, they're, they're the vulnerable ones in the whole arrangement. But um, well, yeah, I you know, accept just, it, just, but also there is an onus on everybody to ensure the roads are safe. And if you're a pedestrian on a dark evening, um, sunlight perhaps against the driver, you have to make sure you're seen. Yeah, yeah. Just recently, I've I've sort of come upon people and just thought, you know. Please, God, uh, they wear the high-vis the next time, you know. Mm. So, you mentioned being in a rural part of County Leash. When's the last time you met a checkpoint? Um, actually, I was, where was I going? Somewhere before, just before Christmas, actually, okay. I was, was stopped. Um, yeah, so um, they were still stopping everybody, just to clarify. It wasn't just me. Um, <laughs> you but do look were, a you little know, suspicious. Checking the tax disc and all that kind of thing. So, yeah. All right, reasonably recently then. Yeah, it was, yeah. Kieran, when yeah, were you last stopped? I couldn't tell you. And I'm on the road every day of the week, yeah. So my opinion of it is there's not enough guards on the road to be policing it. Um, you'll have your speed vans, but everybody knows where the speed vans are. You know you know the locations, like when you're on the road the whole time. Um, so I think more random speed checks in different areas, I think, is, is, is key to it. Um, are we, as motorists, when we flash the oncoming cars to warn them, are we doing I, a disservice? With, yeah, I've had this argument with people and people say they're only cash cows, that's all, they're, they're only collecting money. Yeah, probably there is a bit of that to it. But you're, you're flashing maybe at somebody who's driving over the speed limit, you know, who's driving recklessly, and then they slow down for that speed van and then they're gone past it and away they go again. 
you know. So I, I, I personally don't flash anybody. If you're speeding, you deserve to get caught, you know. Um, that's my way on it, you know. I, I want to get home to my family every evening. I don't want some lunatic come around the corner and take me out, you know. Sim- simple as that with it, you know. And I, I see it on the roads every day of the week. I could be driving on the motorway there, doing 120 kilometers an hour, and it's like I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a slow lane car just flying past me, flying past me, flying past me. Now it's probably safer to do that on a motorway. But it also happens on roads that are 80 kilometres an hour as well, where I'll, I'll have cars driving right up behind me and then like sort of sometimes flashing at me to get past me. So and I'm, a, I'm in, a, in a van, big, big enough van, you know, so I can't go that fast. You're the, the guy who's coming up behind Jim all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, he won't get away either. Um, but no, it's like, you know, I think people's attitudes on the road actually stinks. So it does, you know, they just think. In what they're, way? Uh, they're aggressive driving. Yeah, aggressive driving, you know, they try to bully other cars, um, you know, they're just reckless to, and sometimes you'd see it like if you're on a motorway on a road and they, they go flying past you on a single white line even, they go past you and you get up to into a town or something and they're just there in front of you. So they don't really get there any quicker really with it, you know. So I think it's Has just, it always been like this? Uh, it has, yeah, but, but I think cars nowadays, it doesn't feel as fast in them as it would years ago either, you know, so like... You know, your car, it feels so smooth now when you're driving it. It's so nice to just go along in it. And you don't feel like you're doing 100, 120 kilometers an hour on the back road. You know, it just it's deceptive, goes, yeah. it goes along with it. And then also, there's that much technology in a car now too. You know, are people distracted with it? Like some cars I see, I don't have it in mine now, but you have like basically a laptop screen. But the it's a double-edged sword because that technology might also keep you safe. This... Uh, Technology is able to see. There are cameras in the cars. They have this early collision uh, warning, where and even steering intervention to try and avoid a collision. Yeah, so people rely on that then to tell them if something's going to happen or something's going to go wrong. You know, so they're sort of oh, the car will tell me if something's there or something's wrong. They're it's a bit not, like the reversing camera. Yeah, I think we've become a bit too reliant on those. Yeah, yeah, you get to have it then of it. Yeah, yeah. So it's like. It's going to tell me if there's going to a car or something's wrong or whatever's this wrong instead of using your own brain and, and think about it for a minute, you know. Yeah, I think people rely on it too much, I think. With, you know, No, it's great. All the gadgets are great and that sort of stuff with it, but I think it's they're too reliant on that sort of stuff, you know. And it's a distraction too. I think, I think it's a distraction. Would you concede perhaps manufacturers need to consider these screens? I mean, you, if you want to turn up the heating in many cars, there's no longer a knob or a button. I mean, what's wrong with a button? Well, funny enough, car manufacturers have listened to people at long last and they're doing away with a lot of that stuff. They're trying to make it more simple that you just have a button to switch on your heat, switch it mm. off, and same with the radio and all that. They're trying to simplify it for simple use. But unfortunately, they're still pegging a lot of more technology into it. They claim that they're safer, which they are, of course, with delaying a system, one thing or another. We can't live without reversing sensors or probably cameras on most people now when they get used to them, they won't take a car without it. And Kieran Armour says, right, the cars are getting advanced too. They're getting quieter and quieter. The cabs are very quiet in the vans. The cars, especially with the electric cars, all you hear is the wind whistling by and all mm-hmm. that. And most people uh, underestimate their speed. If they're travelling 100 kilometres up the road, they think they're only doing 60 or 70 kilometres an hour. So the cars are gone so quiet, so comfortable and all that. So progress has been a great thing in the motor trade. And of course, those screens, probably all Elon Musk's fault, Tesla introduced that massive screen originally and that's to reduce costs because having everything controlled through a screen is cheaper than having an array of buttons and wires and circuits. That's right. It was all down to cost at the beginning to, to, to modify everything put it into one screen so at least the beginning to get away from that now because they were too complicated and customers couldn't use them properly. And don't even go there to say voice activation is able to solve all those problems. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> 
Jim Burke is here from Mullingar Autos. Kyra Fingleton runs Glamping Under the Stars and we're suffering Kieran Lambert. He's from Lambert's Pest Control. The only pest he doesn't control is himself. Midlands Today's Friday panel. Thanks to Comfort Keepers Home Care. A caring voice and a daily dose of joy. Comfortkeepers.ie The Deposit Return Scheme kicks in on the 1st of February. Case of back to the future for many people who will recall the glass bottle scheme of many years ago. But this one applies to plastic bottles. For large ones, it's 25 cents. For regular size ones, 15. And it will also apply to tins. And the idea, of course, is that you pay that bit extra at point of sale and you are encouraged to return to these reverse vending machines, at which point you will receive your refund all in the name of promoting recycling. Some listeners have objected on the basis they already pay for their recycle bin and consider this a means of having to pay twice. Others suggest that having to travel from a rural area to the local supermarket with a bag full of cans and bottles increases your carbon footprint and therefore undermines the exercise. Kyra, how do you feel about it? Well, I've seen these um, the sort of receptacles springing up. Um, I noticed one in Port Leash recently. And I'm sceptical that they'll be able to deal with the volume. I mean, it seems like a fairly sturdy structure and, you know, obviously quite a big investment on the part of the shopkeeper who's installed it, uh, which I think is another issue. Um, but um, just just if you go to recycling places in towns, you'll quite often find bags and boxes of bottles and cans next to the already full um, recycling facility and this seems to be a problem already that there's not enough resources, not enough space for all the things going into the, you, you know, you quite often see stuff building up um, and I think even if a lot of shops start to do it will will there be enough to cope with the demand, especially if you've incentivized it with this cash back I mean I think it's great, obviously recycling is always great, um, we do a lot of recycling ourselves as a family but also at the Glamp site but we would take it to, you know, the recycling mm. centre. Um, That's a really interesting point because we've talked to some people during the week, for instance, a um, gentleman in Holland from Banneher originally, but for the last 18 years they've had this scheme and it's habit forming and everybody does it now. But it's a bit like maybe the electric cars. They also have a vast network of charge points. If we don't have enough uh, reverse vending machines or... Uh, if if perhaps they're overwhelmed and they're long queues, people may get frustrated and may decide, well, I'll say sod the couple of cent and put it just in the recycle bin at home. Have you thought about what way you'll approach it? Yeah, well, like, I, I put, if we've like plastic bottles or cans or whatever, like we put it in the recycle bin at home. So that goes off. So if I'm paying an extra, whatever, 25 cent or 15 cent, whatever it is for each one, then I don't get any money back to them for putting them in my recycling bin. Is that correct? Mm, correct. So, and also, I believe you have to bring it back to the place you purchased it. Oh. Ah, no, it's not going to work. That's no. going to be no, very no, complicated, I, yeah. Yeah, no. They surely well, you're going to end up, so it's going to be, it's basically a tax then on it. You're going to end up paying a tax then and it's not going to work. I mean, it'd be, it'd be great if it was an incentive to encourage people, because I know not everybody yeah. does do it, but... Um, yeah, that does seem yeah. a bit crazy. Yeah. I think they need to rethink that one, I think. Jim? 
I think it's a terrible shame if it doesn't work. It's it's a great mm. educational system to get the young people to recycle and I showed them how valuable it is and how valuable that aluminium is, we'll say, in the cans. Mm. And I know we all got great... By the way, giant. recycling rates are far higher among the young population than among the older population. Yes, that's true, yeah, that's true, yeah. But I think we've got, we got to keep encouraging it. And uh, it, it's very enjoyable when you go to one of these uh, recycling areas and you get your few, your few euros back from it, you know, and, and, and that can be an enjoyable part of it as well. And you know that has been recycled properly and all that. Uh, it, the system seems to be very, very complicated. And, of course, typical uh, our government, they're putting the charges on at the beginning, same with the, the recycling of our cars and our tyres, the charge up front and then see what happens after that. So they're already bringing in the money to, yes. to, 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 to do it. So let's hope they don't waste money out and let's hope that it works. There was another point of objection from many listeners too. The charge will be applied from the 1st of February, but there will be old stock not bearing the logo that has to wash out of the system. And that could take several months. So even though you've paid the extra premium and it'll apply to the old stock and the new, you won't be able to get your refund. And presumably it's the retailer who keeps the difference, but so nevertheless... if you have an old can, an old stock can, and you bring it then to this recycling point then to get your money back for it, it won't take it? Correct. I suppose they, they have <laughs> okay. to start somewhere, though, I suppose. Yeah. Yes. It has to be a start point. <clears throat> yes, but they could have perhaps had a lead-in time where all of the stock became eligible. That's true, yeah. Do it the true. other way around. Yeah, yeah. Pippa Hackett, the Green Party minister in Offaly, gave, to be fair, a wide-ranging interview to the Irish Times during the week, but the headline they picked out was this. Wolves would all be shot if they were reintroduced in Ireland, says Green Minister. And her party leader some years ago had suggested wolves, who died out, by the way, 250 years ago, that they should be reintroduced to Ireland. She says that would um, undermine... Or excuse me, that was uh, Josepha Madigan, uh, who in opposition said that would undermine existing conservation programmes. Pippa Hackett, who has her beef and sheep farm, says she wouldn't be against the idea, but believes it will be decades away, would require engagement with farmers, may only be suitable in certain parts of the country. Doesn't say where, mind you. And there are no moves within the Green Party to bring forward that policy. Nevertheless, it has gotten people talking. Glamping under the stars. You have a hen party in there. Imagine putting the wolf among the hens. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I was saying we're all about biodiversity and encouraging wildlife, but um, I'm not sure how the wolf would fit in the mix, to be honest. Um, but uh, we were sort of discussing this in the break and saying how sometimes the Green Party agenda can be kind of skewed and people tend to pick up on the more extreme comments uh, which is great for clickbait and all of that, because obviously there are more important green issues that we could be focusing on. Um, but the wolves captures people's imagination and we can imagine them snarling and roaming the countryside and biting people's heads off. Yes, and for fairness, if you read far enough down in this article, she does talk about the forestry programme, which is something she uh, says she inherited as a number one issue, a number one challenge, and uh, delays to forestry have now been reduced and... She talks about her chances of winning election in the new Offaly constituency, as it will be. But no, much of the article does focus on wolves. Imagine dealing with wolves as a pest controller. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be a, a bit of a dodgy issue, wouldn't it? Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I don't think Ireland is suitable to Wolves anymore. Maybe hundreds of years ago, yeah, absolutely. You know, but with modern farming now and everything, and even they're saying to put them up on hills or mountains or stuff like that, there is mountain sheep farmers up there, you know, and, and commonage area land mm. where well, a number of different yeah. shepherds keep their sheep on it. There's sheep know? all over the sleep blooms. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, they probably would help with the deer population, you know, there, there's probably the deer population is probably getting a little bit out of control they probably will help with that but then when that starts to dwindle away they're going to target sheep they're going to start target cattle stuff like that yeah yeah farmers are going to shoot them yeah then again we have dogs and dogs when they get into packs do a lot of damage too and they get shot too absolutely Jim yeah well I'm delighted to see that Minister um Peppa Hackett is, is, is practical in this in which she is saying that it's not capable of hanging the wolves and she's she's right at least she's she's a local minister and she works on a farm herself and all that so she's very practical about it and it won't work we live in Noctrin, Mullingar it's a, a rural area as you know and, and sheep farmers in it as well they're still worried about the foxes because there's a massive increase mm. in foxes mm. as we know but there's not enough of guys uh, uh, shooting fowl and everyone at the moment going around with shotguns and also the eagle has been talked about a lot and uh, sheep farmers are very worried about that. They say it can take the lambs straight away off the land and, and so imagine putting wolves into the mix as well. It, it just wouldn't work and as, as much as we like love to see these wild animals roaming in the wild and all that but it's not practical with the farming community we have here with, with cows and calves and particularly the sheep and the lambing and all that that um, it, it just wouldn't work. On Tuesday, Dr. Murish Houston wrote in the Irish Times why New Year's resolutions are a waste of time. And he talked about the high failure rate and essentially the advice was, don't bother. You're nodding away, did you not? No, I don't do any of that at all. No, no. I I wouldn't keep it either. No resolution to be nicer. But I think if you are going to do it, uh, set something that's achievable. Yeah, yeah. Don't try and set the bar too high because you won't do it. I don't, anyhow. Did you ever? No, I don't e- think so. Even no. when you were young and in your 50s? <laughs> oh, no, I didn't, Will. No, not even when I was in my 50s. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> oh, you're going to pay for that one. <laughs> Kyra, considering you're uh, significantly younger than uh, Kieran, what is your perspective? Uh, yes, OK. Well, I suppose anything that kickstarts positive, you know, lifestyle choices is a good thing, but... Um, Yes. Um. What in the name of <laughs> divine? That's your, that's your little present for you. Isn't it? Sorry, Kyra. She sounded Not slightly distracted there. Yes, there's something to the window. Guess, I told you a special guest for you, Will. There is a giant rat <laughs> making his way to the studio. Um, no doubt about to walk in here to turn yeah. around, Jim, and <laughs> there you go, now, Will. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> And he's having a seat. <laughs> he'd sit down in the corner. Get comfy there, Mr. Rat. That's your mascot, That's isn't our it? little mascot, yeah, that we've used for Facebook live videos and stuff like that there during COVID to help people out there during Fantastic. COVID. Fantastic. He's yeah. the image of you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get a nice picture of you in a minute with him. Kyra, you were saying about uh, New Year's resolutions. Yeah, it's all kind of gone out of my mind now because uh, <laughs> <laughs> of the giant vermin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and plus yeah. the rat that walked in too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm not quite sure what to say now. Um, <laughs> His beady little eyes are just boring into the boring back of my into head. your back. Yes, yeah, yes. yeah, very worrying. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, in terms of New Year's resolutions, um, probably both better to put something positive in place. So I, I 
don't commit to anything that I don't think I can adhere to. So don't make life too hard for yourself straight after Christmas when you're on the gloomy nights and all of that. Um, give up everything, but instead try and book something nice mm. for yourself. Um, you know, plan plan ahead, plan something nice for yourself in the year. I was reading something similar to that. The best ones and the most successful ones are where you add something, whether mm. it's good yeah. habits or reward, rather than an abstinence. Doing without is much more difficult and it's framed negatively in your mind. So therefore mm. you tend to yeah. avoid it. Jim... Apart from buying new cars, what New Year's resolutions are <laughs> yes, you thinking do, about? Funny enough, and I don't know if you'd fully call them New Year's resolutions, as in people think about losing weight and running more and all that sort of thing. Like, uh, but uh, yes, I do. I always set targets for my business every year, and I raise the bar every year for my staff and my for, for myself, indeed, and for our company. And uh, yeah, things that we hadn't got around to doing last year, we we put them high on the agenda to try and attack them straight away early in January. And now it doesn't always work out, but we do set the agenda. Well, no procrastinating then. I know there was another article that you were very determined to talk about, Jim. So I just want to give this last slot to you. The headline said, sex can lose its joy and become about box ticking. The pressure trying to get pregnant can have on relationships. Now, the floor is yours. Well, I think what you were saying earlier on, put the wolf among the hens was was, uh, described things there very well earlier on. So... (laughs) The the uh, yeah on the serious side of it, it's it's great to see the article there this week that that, that people have problem uh, getting pregnant and all that. At least it's uh, they're opening up the discussion on yeah. it, which is good. It's a very sad thing, and a lot of us went through it from time to time over different family members and all that. And uh, and unfortunately, every setback then becomes a self fulfilling prophecy in your mind. You dwell on it, and it yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it, it it can be very sad for some families indeed. And uh, it's great. I know uh, women are very open-minded about it and they do talk about it. But now it's good to see that men are beginning to talk about it and they should talk about it indeed and all that. So uh, talk about New Year resolutions, but we wish all those families well for this year. Skillfully handled, must I say. <laughs> <coughs> On our Friday panel today, I have to thank Jim Burke of Mullingar Autos, Kyra Fingleton of Glamping Under the Stars, Mr. Rat for joining us. <laughs> Not me, that's not me. Kieran Lambert. <laughs> can, I, can I just give a quick shout out? Uh, I just joined recently uh, Milltown GA Club, have a little pickleball club. So oh, pickleball, pickleball, yes. Yeah, fascinating little sport. So it is, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, there's a lady in Westmeath, and her, she'll shoot me because I can't think of her name, but she was a great ambassador for pickleball. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Has promoted couple, it couple, so successfully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. It's like a cross between tennis, badminton, table tennis, that sort of stuff with it, yeah. But it's. It's a great little sport, yeah. Yeah, so a little shout out to them down there. Yeah, they're a great, great little club. So where can you sign up? Uh, Milltown GA Club. Brilliant. Yeah, every Tuesday and Thursday we play in it, yeah. Yeah, so we do, yeah. So yeah, good fun. On that note, guys, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks to Cameron Clark and Shannon Fogarty for putting it all together. We'll chat to you Monday morning from nine. Take care. Bye-bye. Midlands Today's Friday Panel. With thanks to the caring hands of Comfort Keepers Home Care. Nurturing thoughts, caring moments. Comfortkeepers.ie